Our scripture today comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of our Lord. So spiders don't, oops, I interrupted. Let me just roll. All right. Spiders don't freak me out, but I'm not a fan of them. Uh, Some people are terrified with spiders. I just don't enjoy them but I'm fascinated by them. And one of the things that fascinates me with a spider is its web. Don't know if you've noticed uh, ever how intricate a spider's web can be, but it is pretty amazing how intricate the web is. One of the things as I've done a little, just a tiny, tiny bit of reading, and I know there are those of you who will know way more than I do about spiders, is I've learned that the reason that the spider's web glistens, it's shiny, is to attract insects. That's the point. I've also learned that once a grasshopper, a fairly decent-sized grasshopper, finds itself in a spider's web, That grasshopper, that spider knows the grasshopper is there not because the spider can see it. Spiders have poor vision. But because the spider is able to feel it, so the spider feels the grasshopper, feels the web move, goes to the grasshopper, and within 40 seconds has that grasshopper wound up and ready to eat then or later. Paul writes in Colossians 2 verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Like a spider web, False teaching is captivating before it makes you captive. It's attractive. It's shiny on the outside. It draws you in before it reams you out. 
I've said before, and I'll remind us again in our study of Colossians, that Paul is writing to the Colossians about two problems in the church. Legalism and pluralism. Legalism, Jesus plus, and pluralism, Jesus and. Today we are assaulted with a cultural message of Jesus and me. All right, we won't deal this morning that much with legalism, but we'll deal with pluralism. Uh, I need you to strap on your thinking caps for a moment, reading a book right now, and I want to read a quote from it. Mark Sayers writes this, Modern culture, relentlessly undermining foundations of meaning, creates an inner emptiness an inner life in constant need of repair and salvation. All right, let me say it again. Easy to miss. Modern culture relentlessly undermining foundations of meaning creates an inner emptiness, an inner life in constant need of repair and salvation. And it gives then, this is how to fix the inner emptiness. Sayers provides four, four statements. Number one, we are born innocent, happy, and whole. Our inner child or our inner self is good. All right. The reason I start here, and it's a heady start I know, is because this is the prevailing cultural message of the day. You and I are born okay. We're good people at the core. Second, families, bad experiences, binding commitments, externally given identities, cultural, traditional, and religious restrictions make us unhappy, giving us low self-esteem. That's the second message of the culture. Watch a talk show, a TikTok video, though it may be short. Uh, look at an Instagram post and you'll see this. Three, through escaping from these binding commitments, externally given identities, traditions, and religious restrictions, we discover our good inner self which is good and can guide us. Four, through finding a missing element, here we go, such as a soulmate, a meaningful career, enjoyable experiences, material things, or through exercising our self-expression, our lives can be filled with pleasure and meaning. He summarizes it with this statement. Contemporary consumer culture offers medicine to cure the diseases it creates. And some of you are sick with this disease. You've chased dreams, people, money, careers, cars and trucks, boats and hunting gear. A new sexual identity, a new sexual orientation, all kinds of self-expression, 
only to find that when you get there, you're looking at yourself in the mirror all over again, and you don't much like what you see. If that's you, and at some point in your life, you gave your life to Jesus, and he gloriously saved you from yourself and your sin, this sermon is a clarion call to come back to Jesus. Paul wrote in 6-7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, let me simplify it this way. If you sit here and you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus did that, you came to him in faith, he was enough then and he's enough now, amen? He was enough to bring you to himself and he's enough to get you home safely and with joy in the journey. You don't need modern philosophy. You definitely don't need empty deceit. C.S. Lewis taught about a revisionistic mindset that assumes that because we're younger, we're smarter. That assumes that because we're modern, we're better. That assumes that because we have technology, we have started to unravel what once was. It's an intellectual arrogance that looks back and says, we know more than what they once did. But I would just challenge you. I challenge you to get to church on time without electricity. I would just challenge you this morning to get into this place while you're having to fire up the stove to cook your breakfast, if you think you're a whole lot smarter than all those people who came before us and somehow in 2022, we figured everything out. Theologians from 2,000 years ago, well, since they didn't have the internet, they're, they're not that smart. No, I would just guess that Google has replaced most brains these days and that most people don't know how to use and some of you are going like, Jerry, you're so old school. Thank you. I receive that. I honestly do because there is this revisionistic uh, idea, this thing that permeates our culture which says, oh, I'm in my 20s and now I've figured it out. And since I've figured it out, all of a sudden, could I instruct everyone older on how life really is? And it ends up being then an undoing. I've sat with so many, and I love the young adult life group, Wendy, and I get to lead that has grown now to 25 young adults who sit every single week and the joy of being with them and seeing them grapple and struggle. Nothing wrong with that. Everything good with it. Except we've thrown the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. Paul writes to them, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So this morning, you can walk with Jesus still because Jesus is God and we are not. Paul makes that point for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity 
dwells bodily. Uh, Meaning that all that God is dwells in Christ. Paul uses two words, whole and fullness. This word fullness is a mariner's term. It refers to a full ship. Filled with freight, merchandise, sailors, oarsmen, and soldiers. Meaning it's ready to sail. Uh, Some of us are filling our ship with Jesus and everything else. Jesus is the freight. He's the merchandise. He's the sailors. He's the oarsmen and the soldiers. He's everything. That's what Paul says with this mariner term. Remember the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples. They're out on sea and uh, the storm comes up and they're horrified, aren't they? And so they're doing all they can. And finally they find Jesus there at the front of the boat. And when they do, they go get him. And uh, they say, do you not care? As you felt that way, haven't you? Do you not care that we're dying? Jesus wakes up. He doesn't make any big fanfare about it. He simply speaks. And when he does, the winds and the waves, they die down. When I was a youth pastor, we would go on mission trips to different places, some of them tough environments, some of them simply hot. We went to Arlington, Texas more than once. Loved those trips Though I recall rolling into Texas for one of those trips in that refurbished white school bus where the air conditioner conveniently quit about five miles leaving here, it had been 100 degrees for 30 straight days. We served in Arlington between Dallas and Fort Worth with a great ministry led by a wonderful woman named Tilly. That ministry reached three thousand children and we would come they would come and we would do backyard bible clubs with them out in that scorching heat we did three a day backyard bible club in the morning backyard bible club in the afternoon take a break backyard bible club at night we went hard but there was a there was you had to fill time if you've ever worked with kids you need time fillers and you had to fill time and there was a little song we taught those kids I wonder, did it register? These kids came from difficult places, difficult situations. Some of you may have heard it, uh, this song, but it says, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile in the storm. And we'd sing that. How many of you know that song? There you go. A few of you do. All right, so a few of you know this. And we'd get these kids together, and we'd start singing this song. With Jesus in the boat, you can smile in the storm. Smile in the storm, smile in the storm. With Jesus in the boat, you can smile in the storm when you're sailing home. And we'd sing all through and then replace all the motions with it. And we'd look at those kids, honestly, sweat dripping off of us, sweat dripping off of them, watered down Kool-Aid that was nasty, serving it like it's the best thing you've ever tasted. And we'd wonder at the end of the week when those kids would climb on that bus and we'd head out. And I'd look down the row at those kids in that youth group and tears were streaming down their face because they'd fallen in love with some kids. Did they get that? Did that register? Did, Did somehow 
that's sinking. That's what Paul is writing to say, that Jesus is, Paul says, the head of all rule and authority. Everyone and everything bows to Jesus. As a matter of fact, verse 15, it says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Uh, that's, that's another picture, full of our pictures here. Uh, when a Roman uh, leader would go fight a battle, he would come back, that general would, uh, with prisoners of war and march them in a parade. Jesus, when he died, in the weakest moment of his life, he did the greatest work of his life. And so Paul says, as you receive Christ's walk in him, uh, you can do that because he is God and you and I are not. But you also can do that because Jesus died for us. And we got to get this and we die with Jesus. Look at verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All right. So let's admit it can be awkward and at best odd to preach about circumcision. It just is. But circumcision was a sign of the Old Testament covenant between God and the Israelites. Every baby boy born in the Old Testament, period. If that family says, I'm with you, Israel, that baby boy at age eight, uh, eight days had to be circumcised. Exodus 24 tells us about it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord. All right. So we're talking, this is family, but what if somebody outside the family of Israel wants to believe? Let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So may never have thought about it, but circumcision then made everybody equal in front of God's eyes. In the Old Testament, Jew or not, stranger or family member, circumcision. Paul says here, that's what Jesus does in the new. Uh, let's look at those comparisons. Uh, there was one circumcision in the Old Testament. There's one in the new, Jesus' death. Circumcision is a tearing away of the flesh. Jesus' body was stripped from him. Circumcision was the requirement for entrance into the family of God in the Old Testament. Jesus' death is required for entrance into Jesus' family, the church. Circumcision is done by someone else, and no one can circumcise his own heart. This is done by Jesus himself. Paul writes in Romans 2, 28 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right. We baptized four people in this service. Uh, who were at Caswell, and God did something that cut to the heart. Peter preached 
Acts 2.37, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a personal one. It may make you uneasy. If it does, let the Spirit do that work. Have you ever been cut to the heart by the awareness of the heaviness of your sin and the greatness of Jesus to forgive it. Not have you joined a church? Not have you made a decision? The question isn't, do you do good things? Do you give money? That's not the question. Have you ever been cut to the heart? The fear and the difficulty is this. Member of our life group texted me this week, Grace, and she said, Is there a book anywhere about sharing Christ with people in the Bible Belt? I said, I, I, I don't know of one. She said, Well, it's very different here because religious people often don't feel they need Jesus. Their religion, their works, seems to be what they focus on. So when we say that we can walk with Jesus because he died and we must too, our death is dying to our old self, being cut to the heart Paul references here a circumcision not made with hands, meaning open heart surgery. Finally, uh, we can continue to walk with Jesus because he rose from the dead and we can too. Having been buried with him in baptism. All right. So you were baptized here and baptism is a symbolism of both death and life. When you go into the water, it's a picture of being buried. When you come out of the water, it's a picture of coming back to life. That's what baptism is. It is simply symbolic. It, it doesn't save a single person but it demonstrates or shows to others that you are, that God did something to put you in and out. Mark 10, 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? The reason I reference that verse is that baptism is a reference to being immersed in the death of Jesus Paul adds here, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now think back to those 
principles being espoused by our culture today. We are born innocent, happy, and whole. Our inner child, our our inner self is good. If that's the case, you don't need to be circumcised in heart. You don't need a heart change. You just need to somehow get better. You just need somehow a good self-improvement plan. Jesus didn't come to save sick people. He came to raise dead people to life. That's, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. flesh. God made alive together with him. All right, so this begins here and is completely consummated in heaven. New life. All right, let's do a little quiz. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. God is about new. He is about making new. New life. All right, so take take the most beautiful thing you've ever seen here. Think in your mind for a moment to the most beautiful place or your favorite place to be or or, or the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And one day God will make that new. Behold, he said, I am making all things what? New. So do you ever let your mind drift to heaven? We get so earthly bound, we don't do that, do we? Do you ever let your mind drift away and imagine and think as you can with our finite capacity what it's like? If you have loved ones there, they're not sick anymore. Their minds are clear And their hearts are good. They've been raised here to walk with him. And all of life is more into him, into him, to where it may have been C.S. Lewis wrote that death is almost like just a next step. Because you increasingly became more like Christ how? Here it is. Jesus canceled the record of debt on the cross. All right, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, Christ's cross was the place where the debt and debtor meet, where the bill collector and paid in full stamp find one another. There's a song we like to sing, on a hill, what? Far away. But that song, as good as it may be, is not accurate. Crosses were not on hills, and they definitely weren't far away. Crosses were erected by a busy street. When Romans crucified someone, they did it in eye-level places where it would be a busy intersection where passers-by walking would look and see the cross and see something inscribed, written above the person. 
their offense. What put them on the cross? And when they saw it, obviously it was intended to teach them a lesson. So when Jesus died, he wasn't on a hill far away. He was by a city street. He was outside uh, uh, the city in a busy place where people could go by and they could see him. And there was something on the cross. I think it said something like, Hail, King of the Jews. But what Paul says was really there was the record of my sin and your sin nailed to his cross. It stood against us with its legal demands. This is so countercultural today that it's almost strange if your ears have been listening to whatever may be trending today. It seems strange. It seems an affront. It seems offensive. It is offensive that your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And mine did too. It was a hefty debt. He died for me. And for the laundry list of sin. And you too. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This year, there was a graduation at uh, a small school, Otis College. It's in Los Angeles, artsy school, mostly art majors. Evan Spiegel. CEO of Snapchat was the speaker. His wife has founded a beauty company. And at the end of his speech, he announced that he and his wife had given a gift to pay off all student debt of every graduate sitting in front of him. Don't you wish somebody showed up like that at your graduation? If you go Google it, you'll see pictures of students crying, excited, elated. That gift, just over $10 million to pay off the debt of those 300 and some graduates. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt 
I could not pay. Wherever your life may lead you, whatever philosophy may captivate you, 